Welcome to episode 193 of the Various and Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio, beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is freshly vacationed, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. Amen, Doc. Amen. Yeah, had a little more bounce in your step. Yeah, a little more I, pep in the voice. I feel I feel like a new man. Yeah, uh, re-energized, uh, ready to take on the world. And in two weeks, I'll probably be back where I was before. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. So good vacation, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time to reset. Um, I always enjoy having a week where I don't have to get up to an alarm. Uh, so that means you get up at what, like 6 a.m. instead of 5.30? Yeah, yeah. I uh, usually wake up between <laughs> between between 6 and 7. Okay. Then, you know, I don't want to be too rigid. Uh, but then, you know, like drinking coffee and eating breakfast and going for a walk on the beach and doing stuff like that. Always restorative. Nice. Nice. Uh, any particular books that you read? Oh, let's see. Well, I've been reading a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. I've heard of this book. I haven't read it. Um, there's this historian. He's, I think, since passed. But he did a series of six books about, like, turning points in history mm-hmm. that that saved or changed the world that we don't really talk about. Yeah. And this book is about as the barbarians swept through Europe and basically destroyed – the classical era as we know it, mm-hmm. the Irish, as they learned to read and write uh, and become civilized, took all, as I think he's getting to because I haven't finished it yet, took all that writing and, and kept it in Ireland basically mm-hmm. and yeah. redistributed it at, at, at the Renaissance, I imagine. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, if you'd like to contact the show and ask John more about how the Irish saved civilization – you can find us on X slash Twitter. I think it's still called Twitter. I think the X is just the symbol. Okay. All right. That's my understanding. Here I stand. Okay. You can find us on whatever that platform is named, at V and S pod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And we would love for you to leave a five-star rating and a review should you feel – so motivated. There's a lot to talk about in the world of sports. You ready to go? Sure. Okay. So let's start with uh, let's start with college football. Okay. I'll try to keep my uh, my comments on the briefer side. There's a lot to talk about with sports, but uh, obviously my interest lies primarily in Ohio State. They beat Youngstown State 35-7. Uh, in a performance that I would characterize as underwhelming. Slow start? Is that? Uh, just they don't have a lot of rhythm and um, uh, really just continuity offensively. Their offensive line is struggling. Hmm. And the first two opponents they played, they've just out-talented them. They're just way more talented. Uh and they should probably be able to do that this upcoming week against Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, uh, a game I will be at. Oh, you're going to – I will be at the Western Kentucky game, yes. In Columbus. In Columbus. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then uh, the week after that's Notre Dame. 
Hmm. And Notre Dame has looked good. And so if Ohio State doesn't significantly improve and fix their issues, um, they will get beat by Notre Dame. Um, it's hard to tell what's going on with the Ohio State football team in terms of just they don't look like they have a clear offensive identity. Um, and the play calling still seems confusing to me. But uh, plenty of talent. It's just a matter of whether they can put it together in time. Uh, <clears throat> as as things stand now, without some significant improvement, this team could conceivably lose three or four games. Wow. Yeah. Now, part of it is they have they play in a tough conference. Sure, sure. But um, – but they're not playing well enough to beat the better teams, is what you're saying? Correct. They're not playing well enough right now to beat Notre Dame, okay, or to beat a Penn State or beat Michigan, and maybe not well enough to beat Wisconsin right now. I don't know. Hmm. So Interesting. They got to figure it out. They got to figure it out. They, they they haven't officially named their starting quarterback, but they have. Okay. It feels like they should by this point. Well, again, the same guy started Kyle McCord, mm-hmm. which he was fine. And they, they gave several series to the other guy, and he did okay. But there was nothing that you saw that you're like, oh, we got to get this guy on the field. Mm-hmm. He's he's better. Nope. Just make the decision now. Get the get the guy the get McCord all the reps from this point forward, because he's your guy. He needs the reps, and uh, go from there. But hmm. we shall see. Um, the big news in college football actually was uh, Texas. Going into Alabama and beating them, yeah, that was a big deal. It was, it was. Um, so big, big win for them. Any any strong feelings about Colorado beating Nebraska? Not surprised. Okay, okay. I I want to keep tabs on Colorado this year. If we must, <laughs> if we must, it just feels like something worth keeping tabs on. If we must. If we must. Yeah, I don't want to comment further on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's uh, – uh, uh, Other sport – you forgot one football, college football news. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Well – I'm guessing. I don't know. Uh, Valparaiso? No. Is this where you were going? No, not at all. Uh, Valparaiso lost to Indiana Wesleyan in football. Valpo is a uh, Division One FCS, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lost to Indiana Wesleyan. Okay. In NAIA yeah. school. Yeah. That's not where I was going. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think that when you when you were like, oh yeah. But that did remind me there is a big college football well, well, story bigger than Indiana Wesleyan beating Valpo. Slightly. <laughs> uh, Michigan State fired their coach Mel Tucker. Did you see this? No, I didn't see this. Oh, it's a mess. There's a Title IX issue involved. Like they're not spending the same amount of money no, on no, women's no, no, sports? No, 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 or no. like the, the shadow side of – The shadow side <laughs> of Title IX, yes. Mm. Uh, and yeah, to actually discuss the alleged reason for firing him would not be family-friendly radio. Maybe we should do a Patreon that, that has the explicit rating. <laughs> no, um, no. No, because see, we could still get fired. We we could, but then people would be paying us. <laughs> well, you think we could make enough to to overcome our lost salaries? No, okay. No, I didn't. I, think I, so. I don't think so. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I in no way want to make light of Title IX allegations. Um, but I will say the institution uh, probably isn't – they paid Mel Tucker like $85 million. Was it two years ago? They're like, oh, here's our guy. And he's been a train wreck since then. Like they were all eager because they thought he was good and then he's been a disaster since hmm. then. So um, this conveniently works out for Michigan State potentially to fire him for cause and therefore not have to buy him out when it comes to the uh, to the contract. So, Well, good for them. Yeah, though, yeah, it's just a mess of a situation. Anyway. Uh, Butler football beat Taylor, by the way. Hmm. So we're so we're delving into the NAI, uh, the into the Crossroads League uh, for so college football. I just I think this might be the only week we do this, but I just pulled up all <laughs> NC NCAA football games from the weekend, and I was just shocked to see Taylor and Indiana Wesleyan on there as what I think were supposed to be cupcake games mm-hmm. uh, for Valparaiso and for Butler. Probably, yeah. Um, and Indiana Wesleyan beat Valpo. Yeah. Which is is just wild to me, and then Butler destroyed Taylor. I would imagine so. Yeah, that's which I'm expect. not upset about. No, probably not. Uh, apologies to Mark in Winona Lake. I don't know if I'm. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to the NFL. And it's a little bit unfortunate. We're recording on Monday, which yeah. is our normal practice. And your J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets have not played because they play tonight as we're recording this. By the time this drops tomorrow, yeah. we'll, we'll all know what, what the result is. So uh, how about we talk about the weekend in general and then we'll talk specifically about the Jets. How's OK. That? Sounds good. Uh, what stood out to you? Um, it, just big picture overall, uh, I thought there were some great games yesterday. Or uh, in week one. So Lions beating the Chiefs, that that on was On Thursday great. night, yeah. Yeah, Good on game. Thursday night. Yeah. That was a great game. Uh, the Giants losing the way they lost. I turned it off when it was 40 to nothing. Was that the final? I believe that was the final. Okay. Um, That's like the worst beat down in an NFL game I've seen in a long time. Well, and the Giants are supposed to be this like – uh, wild card, maybe pushing mm-hmm. the Eagles for the division team. They looked completely lost. Uh, so you know that that strangely warms my heart. I figured uh, it did as, yeah. a, as a Jets fan. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, uh, I, I thought I watched the Browns Bengals game yesterday. I thought the Browns mm-hmm. played a good game. I thought that was a uh, a bit more back and forth uh, than the score actually. Uh, says like I think they I I can't remember what the final was. It was like twenty four to twenty four to three, but I think it was a lot. Clo- it felt a lot closer than that. Watching the game, it was shocking how much the Bengals struggled with the weather. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. raining. Yeah, and the Browns had some of their own issues, but they handled it much better than the Bengals. The Bengals just like Joe Burrow looked like he couldn't like could barely throw the figure ball. out how to throw a ball. Yeah, I I did not think Deshaun Watson looked that good either. No, he didn't really. Um, but the Browns are just have, have such a good running game. Mm-hmm. They just when they when they were riding Nick Chubb, they just they uh, you know if you can't stop them from running the ball like that, you are going to have some problems. 
So, and then the only other game that really stands out, uh, the 49ers and the beatdown they laid on the Steelers, 30 mm-hmm. to 7. That, that, that felt huge. Um, and then I'll also mention, because I did watch a good chunk of this game, uh, the Packers beating the Bears. Yeah. With Jordan Love at, yep. at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I only got to watch the first half. Um, and I have mixed thoughts on Justin Fields. I don't think he played great. Uh, but I also don't think schematically they're doing all that they could to help him. So it just looked like the Packers knew exactly what the Bears were going to do and the Bears didn't make adjustments. And you should have known the Bears were in trouble when on their opening drive they got a first down and they got down to like third and less than a yard. They tried some sort of gimmicky – sneak play but with Cole Komet the tight end so they kind of motioned him in he goes under center and then they ran the sneak didn't get it and then on fourth down they tried to run the traditional sneak and neither time did the offensive line get any push yeah like that just tells you like you're in trouble like you should be able to get if you have two opportunities to run basically a sneak play for less than a yard you should be able to get that oh absolutely so, but anyway. yeah, I, that that's what stuck out to me from the NFL week. Anything you would add from? Uh... No, I don't think so. Um, I too was struck by the the Lions beating the Chiefs, though. You know, Chiefs without, Tra- without Ca- Travis Kelsey had several drop passes in there that would have. Well, I'm watching this game and I'm just going like, who are these wide receivers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know. know one, and they kept dropping passes mm-hmm. and. Yeah. There was one where I don't know if you saw the picture on uh, social media, but the guy had the ball like in, in the perfect spot, mm-hmm. and it just clearly went through his hands and went into the <laughs> the defensive player's yeah. uh, yep. hands for an interception. It was just, it was just bad. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, we should make our Super Bowl picks. Okay. Who do you like? I've got Bills <sighs> and Niners. That that killed me. Um, I am also going Niners uh, after the way they played yesterday. They seem to have an excellent defense, mm-hmm. and they seem to be clicking a bit more on offense than they have in past years. So 49ers, I also got them. Uh, and then I'm kind of going out of the box here. I'm going Jaguars. Wow. Jaguars. It's uh, Trevor Lawrence's third year in the league. Mm-hmm. Feels like it's the time for him to take a step forward. Um, potentially putting together a really good season. He's got a couple new Calvin Ridley's there as a wide receiver. It, it feels like it might be time for them to step up. I just don't see them being able to get past the Bills or the Chiefs or even potentially the Jets. Yeah, I said before we started recording that I would not pick Jets because I yeah. did not want to jinx it. Understandable. But uh, Understandable. But yeah, I, I like you know I don't like taking just the just both number one seeds, which is probably the 49ers and the Chiefs, if I if I had mm-hmm. to guess. Uh, so I like I like one sneak pick, and yeah. I, I think the Jaguars could be that. Could be what a heartwarming story it would be for the for for you know the the city of Jacksonville. Okay, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know you had such a such a. Soft spot for the city of Jacksonville. 
I mean, I fly in there when I when I go on vacation. I was just in Jacksonville. <laughs> okay, but was there palpable buzz about? Them? Oh, absolutely! Okay. Pictures everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all sorts of things. Okay. And and this is the stadium that started putting red zone on the scoreboard uh, during the oh, game no. uh, seven or eight years ago. <laughs> That's not good. And uh, in order to attract fans, yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, one last sports note: U.S. Open. Uh, Djokovic won tennis. The, yes, tennis. Mm-hmm. Djokovic uh, won the men's singles, and Coco Golf. Coco Golf won the uh, the women's. Uh, did you see a little bit of the social media brouhaha about uh, what Coco Golf did post? match nope okay nope so sports center tweeted out uh this picture of coco golf like kneeling in front of her like chair on the sidelines there after the match and she's got her hands folded eyes closed head bowed and the sports center tweet reads something like coco golf taking a moment to soak it all in and people are just crushing espn like it's called praying. Like it's so obvious what she's doing mm-hmm. and she's an outspoken Christian apparently. So oh. this is no like, oh, what is this? Like who could have thought? Hmm. It's crystal clear obvious people just crushing ESPN for just call it praying. Like <laughs> you're describing what she's doing. Um, where is Coco Goff from? I don't know. OK, OK. Because oftentimes they have she's little... American. Oh, she's an American. Yeah, yeah. I okay, thought you meant okay. where, where within the state. No, she's an no, American. She's American. Oh, wonderful. She's American. Uh, and Djokovic. Is he Serbian? That sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Which there's a little bit of controversy with him because he was denied access to w- access, Wimbledon uh, to the U.S. Open. Oh, was it the U.S. Open? Because he refused to get the COVID vaccination. So he couldn't play two years ago. Didn't play in twenty one because he mm. wouldn't get wouldn't get the vaccination shot. Hmm. And part of <laughs> this was a little ironic. So after the match, one of the sponsors for the U.S. Open was Moderna. Moderna. I saw that. I did see that on social the media. Moderna shot of the day <laughs> from a guy who wouldn't get the shot. Hmm. That was that was kind of funny. I know Aaron Rodgers was very supportive of Djokovic through that that whole process. I am confident. Oh, do we need to do a Hard Knocks recap? You got 60 seconds. Okay. So episode five was (laughs) – the the final episode was not worth watching. Really? Um, Yes. Basically, the Jets would not allow people in the room – allow cameras in the room while they cut players. I appreciate that. Um, And they said it's inhumane basically is, is what they said. I agree. Um, so they let them in the room when they told a couple of guys that they made the 53, right. which was very cool. Yes. Um, so that that was one interesting thing. Uh, the other, Probably the, the most talked about uh, piece was uh, Aaron Rodgers calling a guy out of the stands to come down on the field. Turns out he took over for quarterback at, for him at Cal. And he goes, yeah, this guy lives in Jersey. I came out and stayed with him when I was in the draft. And in the middle of the night – we heard something, me, him, and his brother, we went out on the back porch, and we saw a UFO <laughs> flying through the sky. <laughs> and we just stood there and heard a siren and watched this unidentified flying object fly through the sky. 
And then a couple of fighter jets fly after it. <laughs> and we just said, whoa, that's really cool. And then we went to bed. And then the next day I went to the NFL draft and sat there and waited and didn't get drafted, <laughs> if, if you remember. So, Oh, goodness. So that was probably the most talked about piece of Hard Knocks. Okay. Which might have been the most Aaron Rodgers thing. Yeah, maybe. Of Hard Knocks. Yeah. All right, John, this is in danger of becoming a sports bra- uh, sports podcast here. So, what are we at? Uh, we're at 20 minutes here. So uh, we need to move on. You ready? Yeah. So today we begin a series on uh, – I'm not sure. We haven't really decided what we're calling this series. But basically – well, why don't you – this is your idea. Why yes. don't you tell us what we're doing and why we're doing it? So besides the obvious, we need content. This will provide content for multiple weeks. Well, that's, that's the given. That's exactly where I was <laughs> going. So now I've got a I've got a switch. Okay. So, um, goodness, two or three weeks ago, I was reading Christian Scholar Review. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put out a journal yep. um, as well as. I get a daily blog post from them of some kind. You know who used to be the editor of that journal? Is is Mark in Warsaw. Yes. Our, yes. One of our uh, our, our own uh, systematic theology professors. Yes. He used to be the editor of that. Um, well, he handed it over to a guy by the name of Perry. Uh, Glanzer. Gla- is it, how is that pronounced? Uh, Glanzer, I believe. Glanzer? Okay. I think so. So um, – and he's, ta- he's a pretty interesting writer. He does mm-hmm. a lot on identity formation. Um but he wrote about uh, – he went to Second Peter and wrote about adding these things to your faith. And he talked about the process of liberal arts education mm-hmm. and adding knowledge to faith, adding these different things. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought it was a really good concept and it reminded me of this passage uh, where Peter talks about uh, in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, uh, for this very reason, make every effort, effort to supplement your faith – with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Um, and it just struck me that you know we we could do a podcast series on on each of these virtues and talk mm-hmm. about why they're important to faith, um, how they impact faith, how they should mm-hmm. shape and change us and and uh, mold us in one way or another. So, yeah. So yeah, that's there sort of the go. genesis, and uh, a we need content for it. Uh, B, um, it feels like it could be helpful. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, and I think uh, to sort of frame the series, you you mentioned the se- the the set of you know starts with faith, and it adds on to that, but. Uh, at the end of that statement, after he culminates with love, in verse 8, uh, Peter writes, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So there's very real practical uh, value in reflecting on these different qualities and trying to flesh out what are they and how do we pursue them? Mm-hmm. What what sort of things can we do to pursue uh, growing in those things uh, in our lives? But it makes sense to start first and foremost then with faith as the sort of foundation. Like that's, that's the starting point uh, that you're then adding on to uh, these different qualities. So um, let's start there um, in terms of – actually, before we do that, I did want to make uh, two observations. About me or about the passage? Uh, about the passage. Okay, okay. I mean I can make observations about I, you. I thought you were about to be critical. Like let me make two observations about your thought process here. And here, here's where they're wrong or bad. Do you really think I would do that on the pod? I don't think so. But it's a funny <laughs> observation now that I've yeah. said it. And it's probably a glimpse into my own narcissism and, and, uh, and, and, and anxiety and But enough about the Bible, fear. Doc. Yeah, yeah. What about me? <laughs> enough about the Bible, Doc. Okay. Okay. Uh, one is just that um, there are some similarities to the fruit of the spirit listing in uh, Galatians five. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I think that's worth sort of tying in in terms of Peter does not explicitly connect these uh, qualities with the work of the spirit, but the rest of Scripture does help us mm-hmm. see that th- these are not something that we just produce by self-effort. Even though there's a strong emphasis in this passage on putting effort in, in growing in those things. Uh, The second observation is that uh, I think when you recognize these as um, snapshots or aspects of Christ-like character, that helps put them in another light as well. Hmm. That Christ, of course, is the fullest embodiment of these realities. And so looking to him not just where we fall short, but even looking to him as a model of these kinds of qualities, hmm. I think can be fruitful as well. That Jesus is sort of the the one that had uh, perfect knowledge and is sort of our example of, yeah. of striving after that. He's yeah, the absolutely. Perfect self control that mm-hmm. we're sort of, uh, you know, as our exemplar as we're going yeah. forward. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's start with faith. Okay. Um, why do you think he starts there? Um, you know, that that's a really good question. Um, and it seems to be where all the biblical authors start. Let me let me think about that now. Yeah, at least Paul. As, as I think about Paul, Paul kind of always begins with uh, sort of that salvation from sin uh, and, and placing your faith in Jesus uh, as sort of the, the basis of the Christian life. And I think Peter yeah. very similarly is doing the same mm-hmm. thing, right? That yeah. that this faith in Christ and in his work is the basis for living all of life, mm-hmm. um, living a Christian life. Yeah. And so I, that that's my sense of why start there. Do, mm-hmm. do you have uh, uh, more? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it, without without saving faith, these other things can't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, they can happen in a sort of lesser way, meaning it is possible for a non-Christian to show elements of self-control. Sure. So this is not to say that these character qualities cannot be 
present in an unbeliever's life at some level. They can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's not the same as when they're present in the life of a believer because they are oriented towards towards God rather than self. I mean Mm -hmm. you can be self-controlled for selfish reasons. Sure, sure. Um, you know, you, you can say, I, you know, so for example, the person who's committed to uh, bulking up, they have self control when it comes to what they may not eat or what they do eat, how much they work out, things they avoid in their diets. That's a form of self control, but it's self focused. Mm-hmm. It's for their own personal benefit rather than oriented towards uh, as an act of worship towards God and as an expression of their trust or faith in Christ. Yeah. It, you know, I, I received this email called The Daily Stoic. <laughs> Have I ever told you this? No, but I'm not surprised. This doesn't surprise you about me where it's just like, <laughs> no. here's like seven or eight lines from Marcus Aurelius. Uh, and, and here's this guy's explanation of why these lines are impactful today or whatever. The actual Marcus Aurelius, not the gladiator version of uh, in the movie Gladiator. Yeah. Yeah. The one that wrote Meditations, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and Marcus Aurelius talks talks a lot about these virtues. That's a very stoic thing, right? To talk about particularly self control. Yeah, um, and but even Marcus Aurelius is go in meditation is going like, listen, this is me wanting to be the best version of myself. You know, you know that's ultimately a, yeah. a selfish motivation. Now, Mar- I just put that in very American twenty <laughs> first century terms. Can you point me uh, to where he uh, says I don't think that. Marcus Aurelius would actually say those <laughs> things, uh, but. As you read him, that's that's sort of his motivation, yeah. right? Is sort of to be the f- most fullest human he can be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I even think because, uh, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of what we see here, I think we could say the the philosophers um, focus on and see as good things. Yeah. Right. See as helpful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think you're right. I think that's that orientation is is different for the for the Christian. Yes. So uh, if we want to um, look at a biblical starting point for a definition of faith, we could look at Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 2. Sorry, the the dean is at the window taking pictures of me uh, while we record. (laughs) So I'm sticking my tongue out at him, giving him a thumbs up. Okay. I know that was distracting for you. I apologize. I was just trying to figure out what are you doing? Well, if you look, you would have seen Dr. Cardoza in the window there. Okay. Making faces. There you go. Uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So you see elements of um, trust. Mm-hmm. You see elements of um, confidence and, um, I mean, really within sort of the Reformed tradition, there have traditionally been understood as three elements of saving faith, knowledge, approval, slash assent, and then personal trust. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's difficult to put your faith in someone or something you don't know. That's at one level, it's actually impossible. Sure. Um, but then it's not just a knowledge thing. There has to be an agreement with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 
I know from my studies in uh, biblical backgrounds and such, I, I know beliefs that the Egyptians held or that the ancient Canaanites held. I have knowledge of them. I disagree with them. Mm-hmm. I think they're wrong. Yeah. So uh, – and then the last piece uh, is the idea of personal trust. Just the – there's a, a confidence being placed in those realities or that person um, being true mm-hmm. and good, I would say, at some level. So even there, and this is where you know, there's even debate today among reformed theologians on the whole. Like, does delight come into that hmm. in terms of um, uh, saving faith, and what 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 does that entail? But uh, I'll, I'll save that for another I, time. I know I've heard some people make the argument that, uh, and there's two different arguments. One one was probably more when I was in college, and one is a bit more recent. So the one when I was in college was that. Um, faith uh, maybe isn't the best word to use. That mm-hmm. trust might be a better word. Do you do you have thoughts or feelings on that? I think the Bible talks about this concept in a variety of different ways, and so I think mm-hmm. it's good for us to very to, to reflect that variety ourselves. And then so trust is a good um, is a good uh, synonym. Okay. Yeah, I agree. But it's not it's not a perfect word is for Well, I I just think the concept of of what the Bible talks about with regards to faith is difficult for us to represent in one English equivalent. So the the Greek word pistis. Mm-hmm. Um one one way we could translate that as faith. Another way we could translate that as trust. Yes. Is that is that a fair? Yes, though pistis can also be translated as um, faithfulness. Hmm. Uh, But I I think the idea is um, of putting one's confidence in something, relying upon something. Now, there there has been a recent book. I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Um, There has been a recent book written that would argue uh, that the term allegiance should play a role in faith as well. Mm-hmm. Is that what, – what are your thoughts on that? Is that, um, that that where we see the word faith in Scripture? Maybe not everywhere, yeah. but sometimes we should have you're, – you're basically – allegiancing is a weird, a weird <laughs> word, but, 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 but showing allegiance to something. It depends how we're using it because um, – the the danger is is that the notion of allegiance can also include action. Hmm. Meaning, um, for me to be for me to show allegiance to a person is is more than just um, words mm-hmm. or even a disposition of my mind and heart and soul. It's it involves by nature, I think, action. And so is allegiance a good term for the larger concept of my relationship to God? Sure. But I'm not ready to say faith is allegiance. I would say allegiance really is faith plus action. So I get nervous when you use allegiance Hmm. because it feels like you're smuggling in works. Smuggling in a works righteousness sort of piece there. That's interesting. Um, 
So I think you have to use that very carefully hmm. or at least I, – I, so I would not – You know, I think the name of that book you're talking about is, is – I think it's called Salvation by Allegiance or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, I had somebody ask me about it a while and back. So it's and just like eh, – hmm. I, I think we're smuggling in works Interesting. into that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think be, because faith in the most basic sense is – Confidence in someone or something else, um, and it has a personal element to it as well. Um, you know, the it's one thing to intellectually understand content or even know, you know, intellectually know who a person is, but to put one's trust in that person, to put one's confidence, and by Definition then abandon trust or confidence in yourself mm-hmm. uh, feels like a very specific uh, way of thinking about faith that that the biblical authors regularly contrast that kind of faith with actions hmm. being taken. Interesting. That faith is an act of receiving in one sense what someone else has done on your behalf rather than doing it yourself. Hmm. That's my take anyway. Very interesting. No, no, that's that's helpful. Very, very helpful. Um, I did pull a John Calvin quote here for the show notes. Drop it in there. Let's do it. Uh, now we shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, faith is one of those interesting concepts that, on the one hand, it's simple enough that you can explain it to a four-year-old. You know, you need to trust Daddy. Mm-hmm. Daddy knows best. You need to trust me. Okay. Like, that. in one sense, that's part of the picture that Jesus holds out, like, in terms of receiving the kingdom like a child. That's the point of comparison there, the simplicity of trust. Okay, you said it. I I believe you. Yeah. I'm I'm trusting in you. Um I think that's the point of what Jesus is saying when he says you have to receive the kingdom like a child, the sort of simplicity of trust. Um doesn't mean that we stay there necessarily though. That faith should not be something that like like there's a place for simple faith and a good place for it. But we're also to love God with our minds. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through things, wrestling with things, trying to understand how things fit together is not a challenge to faith. Um, it's the classic Augustinian faith-seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. I'm starting with, I believe that's true. I believe in you, Lord. Now help me to understand how this works. Yeah, It's it's all the starting point, I think. Yeah. Hmm. So. Well, that sets the stage for our series next week. Uh, We will jump in with, as the ESV calls it, virtue. We'll have to have a conversation about whether that's even the best way to render that. Yeah, yeah. And that was – I believe that's what Perry's article was about. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Is that an online article? Online, yeah. You want to throw a link in the show notes? Yeah, we we could do that. Okay. Ready to move on? Sure. Time now for This Day in Sports History. All right, this day in sports history, September 12th, 
1954, uh, the Indians sweep the Yankees at Municipal Stadium, largest uh, crowd. AL crowd. AL crowd at the time, uh, 86,563. That's a huge crowd. That's massive. Yeah, that's absolutely massive. Hmm. In 1954, yeah, they must have been. Were they playing in a football stadium? Mun- municipal stadium. That uh, that must be the old Brown Stadium. Hmm. Interesting. All right. 1979, Boston Red Sox. Carl Yastrzemski. I know that one. I, I figured you did, even though it's a weird spelling. Uh, yes. The well. Anyway, uh, gets his three thousandth hit off New York Yankee Jim. Beatty? Sure. I think that's Beatty. Yeah, why not? Um, 3,000 hits. No, no small feat. No. Uh, 1984, here we go. Uh, New York Met Dwight Gooden sets rookie strikeout record at 251. It's a good season. It's a great season. Yeah. Too too bad. Well, too bad drugs exist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, true. That that seems to plague New York Mets pitching. Uh, apparently, um, Matt Harvey had an incident with drugs not that long ago. Um, anyway, uh, let's move on to happier things. Hopefully, uh, uh, 1992. Uh, Stefan Edberg beats Michael Chang six. I'm not going to read all those games in the longest match in U.S. Open history: five hours and 26 minutes. That's a long tennis match. That's very long. Yeah. Five hours and 26 minutes. Yeah. And that was 92. They've put some rules in place that they don't go that long anymore, correct? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. No? No. Uh, 99, 1999. Uh, U.S. Open tennis. Andre Agassi wins his second and final U.S. Op- uh, US title. Beat fellow American Todd Martin. Okay. I always liked watching Andre Agassi. As a kid, I enjoyed Agassi. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was amazing at returning serve. That was his thing. He he didn't have the most powerful serve. He had good ground strokes, but man, that dude could return serve. I I think w- when I was a kid, I always enjoyed scrappy players, and I think I always saw Agassi as a scrappy player. Yeah, he's undersized. He's probably mm-hmm. what, like five ten. Five. Yeah. Yeah, I think five ten is probably right. And and that's the whole reason I like John Starks uh, for the New York Knicks. There you go. Undersized uh, at at like six three, you know. Um, but he's not six three. How tall is he? Starks. Yeah, John Starks. I bet he's six two, six three. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Again, when you see NBA players, the small guys out there, you think, oh, that guy looks like he's five ten. Yeah. But the standard of comparison is everybody else out there is like six eight and above. So yeah. He's probably 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, have I ever told you the story when I hugged Dwight Howard? <laughs> yes, you have. I don't know if you've told us on the pod, but... It was, it was just... It was a bewildering experience. <laughs> and he was just so huge. <laughs> and it, he had to, like, bend down like I was a child to, to well. hug me. <laughs> anyway, maybe another story for another time. Maybe. Even though I just told most of it. Uh, 2009 U.S. Open winners, women's tennis. <laughs> Boy. Uh, Belgian Kim uh, Kleister. Kleisters, yep. Kleisters. Uh, becomes the first unseeded player in wildcard to win the tournament. Uh, beat Caroline uh, Wozianak. 
of Denmark. Wozniacki. Wozniacki? Is that how yep. that's pronounced? Yep. I feel like I've heard it differently. Um, first time I ever heard of her uh, was when uh, Rory McIlroy broke up with her. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. broke her heart. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. That feels like it was just yesterday, but it was – had to be 10-plus years ago. Probably. Broke up with her over text messages, over text. Rory. Not cool. No. They do it differently in Ireland. He needs to be a better version of himself. He needs to read some Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, needs to, he needs to subscribe to Daily, Daily Stoic. Stoic. Yeah. Uh, All right. Who do you like out of this, John? You can't go Dwight Gooden because it's a we've had point. we've had we've, du- done, we've done we've done Dwight Gooden before. Yeah. How about Agassi? I don't think we've yeah, had Agassi. Let's do Agassi. Andre Agassi. Let's do that. Um, I only knew Agassi in his bald days. Do you remember him oh, with the hair? Of course, of course. Some long hair. Yeah, very long hair. Hmm. And then he started balding at the top, and he's like, "I'm just getting in front of this." Yeah, I think that's the right move if you're balding. Yeah, yeah, good aggressive move. Anyway, there. not no shade at any of our listeners that no. are balding and nope. choose a different route. But... Absolutely not. All right, John. One thing you liked. Okay, so coming off vacation, I actually have like two or three things from vacation I could put down here and may put down in future you weeks. You should write it down so that way next week you're not scrambling. I Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's – let's be real. Um, it's not going to happen. Um, there is a greasy – the only way I know how to describe it is a greasy spoon restaurant mm-hmm. sure. uh, called World Famous Oasis uh, in St. Augustine down on A1A. We can walk to it from the condo we stay at. All right. And uh, it's delightful. I get the – uh, pan fry be- breakfast, which is like potatoes, peppers, sausage, bacon, all sort of in a bowl mm. uh, with eggs. And then I put this. They have this delightful hot sauce that I can't find anywhere else. I have a picture of the bottle I'll show you after the pod. That's like this sweet with a little bit of heat. It's fantastic. It's from mm. a certain pepper okay. that is just very – that is just ubiquitous in St. Augustine, Florida apparently because I've seen it in like two or three different restaurants. But – but you haven't found a place to buy like a bottle to take no, I mean, I, back with you. I got to be honest. I haven't done a very good job of looking, uh, but mm. I have not found a spot for it yet. But delightful. Uh, World famous oasis on A1A. Okay. All right. Mine is uh, last week uh, I began my first of four consecutive Wednesday nights teaching at First Mennonite Church in Bern, Indiana. They've been inviting me down the last – this is my fourth? Fourth year? Fourth year going down in the fall and doing nice. four or five weeks of teaching on their Wednesday night. What are you teaching on right now? Second Peter. Oh, well, this is – this yeah. lines up well. Yeah. I mean I, I I move on from Second Peter and I kept I keep getting pulled back to it, mm. teaching, teaching it there. I'm doing a paper at SBL – on Second Peter, um, yeah, it's uh, and you know you and I have we've gone co-authored yeah. a oh yes yes commentary on Second Peter on the Gospel Coalition website. Yeah, yeah. You want to throw a link to that in the show notes? We can, we can. Okay, be interesting to see what we wrote on this passage <laughs> that I that I didn't look at in preparation for today. Yeah, yeah. There it is. All right, John. We have talked. College and NFL football, U.S. Open tennis. We have talked about faith in the series we're starting on the qualities in Second Peter 1. We have talked Andre Agassi. We have talked about the world-famous oasis in St. Augustine. 
Saint not Augustine. St. Augustine. Right. St. Augustine is a city in Florida. August, Augustine, Augustine is, is the is church a, father. That's right. Okay. And uh, we've talked about me teaching in Bern, Indiana. Swiss town. Swiss town with a lovely clock tower. Beautiful clock tower. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Quite lovely. Church is literally across the street from that. Yeah. A beautiful church, by the way. It is. That sanctuary there is stunning. Feels like you step into another century. Yeah, for sure. In there with electricity. <laughs> That's good, yeah. So I think, by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.